This podcast was brought to you by Pastor Brian Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit thefellowship.church. How's everybody doing today? Well, it's good to see all your smiling faces. Some of you guys aren't smiling. Come on, lighten up. Everybody smile. Come on, let's just take a minute. Smile. Like, smile. They say that it only takes 17 muscles, I think, to smile. Do you know it takes like 40-some to frown? So let's frown. Frown. Everybody frown? Okay, now smile. See, that's way easier. Am I right? Some of you guys aren't even joining in. You're just kind of like bump on a log, right? You're like my mom always used to tell me in the morning when I got up, what'd you do, get up on the wrong side of the bed? You know, she used to say that to me a lot. I don't know, maybe I was grumpy and frowny and frowny-faced, I don't know. Well, hey, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here today. How many of you guys got some notes on the way in here? Uh, if you didn't get one and you want one, the ushers are in the aisles, they can get you one. Last week we started talking about uh, uh, one thing was the title of our message, and we were talking about uh, an encounter, encountering and experiencing God in our lives, knowing God in a more real way. Because as we were just singing, really, all we really need, guys, in our lives is the presence of God. Everything in our life can change when we have the presence of God in our lives. The thing that you need, the healing that you're believing for, the, the, uh, the financial breakthrough, maybe the, the relationship that's strained, you think in your mind that it's a certain way and that it has to, you need it to be a certain way, but I, I'm here today to tell you that if you had the presence of God in your life, that situation would, would dissolve. Because I think a lot of times in our minds, we, we, we try to figure out the steps that need to take place in order for a change to happen. When in reality, that's really a trust and a reliance that's on our own ability and on our own strength and maybe what it is that we can say or maybe what it is that we can do. When in reality, if we will just seek to have his presence in our lives, all of the things that maybe are are working against us or the challenges that we face, we'll find that they just dissolve and they just go away and they just take care of themselves. And so, you know, last week we started talking about an encounter, having an encounter. One of the things that I shared with you guys was a funny story about when we had four-wheelers, but really the the best encounter of my younger years was when I met my wife. And uh, the door flung open for the first time and I had never met her. It was a blind date and it was like one of those 90s uh, hair commercials. And when the door opened, her hair just went like in the air. And I was just like, that's it. I'm done. She's the one. You know, and so we have these encounters. We have natural encounters in our lives. You guys probably had some encounters this week. I had an encounter with a Pot County Sheriff this week going 70 miles an hour down the road. And by the grace of God, he let me go. You know, and so... I'm so thankful. I pray for the Pot County Sheriff Department from that point forward every day. I thank you, Lord, for those guys. They are awesome. Thank you, Jesus. So we all have encounters in our lives. You know, some are good. Some are good encounters. Some are bad encounters. But the point of what we're talking about and what we began talking about last week was this idea of encountering God in our lives. That's the whole point. I mean, if you don't hear anything that I say... You need to desire and want an encounter 
with the living God. And last week we talked about and looked at the story of Mary and Martha, and we looked at the three ways that, that, uh, that Ma- uh, Martha missed her encounter. She, looked, she, was, she was distracted. She was led by her feelings. She demanded her own way. And you can see that in that story where she just missed an encounter with God. And then we looked at the, the, the life of Mary and what she did in that circumstance, and hers was very different. She chose, she gave attention, and she committed to uh, Jesus when, they were, when he was in the house. And those were things that we need to do. And, and those, are, those are things that I don't want to spend a lot of time on. If you want to go back and listen to that message, you can see the one thing was the commitment. But today what I want to talk to you guys about is, is uh, I'm sorry, last week was the choice. Today is the commitment, the commitment. And so God wants to have an encounter with us. He wants us to experience him. He wants us to know him. Um, you know, when we look in the book of Genesis, we were all created in his image. You know, that's one, one proof that he wants to be a part of our lives. Another one is found in Leviticus that it says that God said, I will walk among you. I will be your God and um, you shall be my people. Another place is in 1 John. It says that we're his children. So to me, when I look at these things, these are all, these are all proof that my heavenly father wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to talk with me. He wants to have an experience. He wants to encounter me each and every day. The same thing is true for you. That tells me that, that he is no respecter of persons, that he has placed us on this earth. He has created us to be in fellowship and be in contact and be in communication with him, not just drifting through life, wondering you know, where he is and, and where his voice is and where his answer is. It's not. If, if, the Bible says that if we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So it's really up to us, guys, to take that step first step. It's, 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 it's desiring it. It's wanting it. You know, and, 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 and like we talked about last week, making a choice. But today what we're going to talk about is the commitment. Because we can sit here and we can say, yeah, that's great. That's great, Brian. But, but are we going to commit to it? Because this is something that, that we don't just choose to do one day. We have to commit to doing it each and every day. Otherwise, we'll be distracted as, as Mary was or Martha was. We'll, we'll f- we begin to follow the distractions that, that come up in our lives. We'll begin to follow our feelings and ultimately begin to demand our own way, which we talked about that that's really just a selfish lifestyle. And that's not one that I want to live. No, there's, there's nothing, nothing is more important than a personal encounter with Jesus. And that's one of the points in your notes. And you're like, wait a minute. All the studious people are like, wait a minute, that was a, that was a point last week. That's right, it was. But Paul wrote in, the, cha- in uh, the third chapter of Philippians, he wrote to the Philippian church about how important an encounter with Jesus was. And so that's what we're going to look at today. It says in Philippians 3.10 that I want, to, I want to know, I want to know and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I don't know about you guys, but I want to know Christ in my life. I want to experience the power of God in my life. I want you to know Christ. I want you to experience the power of God. I want our church to know Christ, and I want our church to experience the power of God. Is anybody with me in here? 
That's what, we, that's what we need to be desiring, just as Paul admonished us. He encouraged us. He's like, that's what he, he, he if you read that third chapter, I told you guys to read that third chapter during the, during the halftime of the Super Bowl. I don't know that anybody did that, but if you did, I, you come, come find me. I'll give you a $10 bill. That's amazing. But he was saying, man, I want to know Christ, and I want to know his power. And that, that was his, his desire, that was his push, that was his, what he strived for. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is this personal encounter with Jesus. So let's just pray and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you and I thank you, Father, for the word of God. Father, I know that your word is what changes us from the inside out, Father. And so today I just ask that your word would, would be planted, it would be watered, and I know, Father God, that you will give the increase in our lives and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So committed, committed. Are you committed? What's the definition of committed? I think I put it in your notes there. It says, committed is defined as a dedication or loyalty or wholeheartedly dedicated. Wholeheartedly dedicated. I was thinking about this idea of being wholeheartedly dedicated. You know, like, what, what in my life have I been committed to? You know, one of the times when we were growing up, mom and dad, they'd take us out and we'd go skiing. And uh, I had this friend, his name was uh, Matt Barrett, and he was a few years older than me, a lot better skier. And a lot of times, you know, he'd be like, hey, let's go down this double diamond. You know, and I guess I probably had a pride issue at the time because I didn't want to be outdone by anybody. So it's like, absolutely, let's go. And I get about 30 yards down the hill, and I was committed, but not really. I wanted to crawl back up to the top, right? So I can't say that I was wholeheartedly committed. I guess the only thing that really I'm, I'm probably wholeheartedly committed to, other than knowing Christ, is my wife, Rachel. Because we're going to celebrate 20 years, 20 years of marriage in May. And so, you know... It's dedication, it's loyalty, it's, it's being committed to, to give of my life. And that's really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this, this idea of being wholeheartedly committed or wholeheartedly dedicated. We looked last week at the life of Mary, and Mary was committed. One of the verses that we looked at was Luke 10, 42. It says, but one thing is needful, worth being concerned about. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken from her. Mary was committed. She was wholeheartedly dedicated to, to that time when Jesus came into her midst and into her house. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to this commitment of being wholeheartedly dedicated. You know, another uh, example that I can think of is, is Andrew and Peter. When Jesus came and he said, you know, they're doing their thing, they're working, they're, they're working on the boat, they're pulling in the nets, and Jesus comes up on the scene and he says, hey, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it says that they left immediately. They left immediately. That tells me that, that what they saw in this man, Jesus, they knew they wanted to be wholeheartedly committed to what it was that he was going to bring into their life. And so we see Mary, we see Peter, we see Andrew. Um, and so my question to you is, is, are you committed? What are you committed to? What are you wholeheartedly committed to? Are you committed to knowing Jesus? Are you committed to experiencing him and encountering him in your life? 
That's, that's my question. You know, another example of, of somebody is the, is the rich young ruler. And I want to read this. I didn't put it in your notes, but uh, let's see if I can find it here. It says this. So this was, this was somebody that came to Jesus, and it says, Good teacher, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but the one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't defraud. And he answered him, and he said to him, Teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth, all of these things I have done. And then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, one thing you lack. Go away, sell all that you have to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Take up your cross and follow me. It goes on to say in verse 22, but it was, a sad, it was sad at his word, and he went away sorrowful. So what does that tell us? That tells us that he couldn't do it. He couldn't commit. It tells me that the rich young ruler, he was committed, but he was committed to things that were not of God. You know, it was that one thing that he lacked. Jesus said, you lack one thing. Your, your, it's, your commitment is to the wrong thing. It's to the riches. It's to the fame. It's to the wealth. And, and, and I think the thing is, is that those are some of the same trappings that we can find in our own lives where, you know, if, if we're real, real honest, it's like, you know, I want to be like Mary. I want to be like Peter. I want to be committed like Andrew. But... In my heart of hearts, am I like this rich young ruler where Jesus says, I need you to commit. I need you to sell what you have and follow me. I don't know. And, and I'm just going to leave that there for you guys to think about and ponder. You know, are you like Mary? Yeah, I'm all in. Are you like Peter and Andrew? Yes, immediately we will follow you. Or are you like the rich young ruler? It's like, eh, I'm just not sure if I can give you that. I'm not sure if I can go there. I'm not sure if I can commit that. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll move on here, and you can think about that and ponder that. In the natural, uh, this is not working. In the natural, he had it all. The rich and Mueller, he had it all. By the world's standards, he had it all. In his eyes, he had it all. But Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. So, what are you really committed to? What are you wholeheartedly dedicated to? Is it your career? You know, I'm in the prime of my life right now. I got to make sure that I'm making the most. I can make as much money as I can. You know, maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your kids. You know, I want the very best for my kids. I want them to, you know, go, go farther than I did. You know, and so, so that's what you're wholeheartedly committed to. Maybe it's retirement, doing as little as possible. You are committed to doing as little as possible. I don't know. Just, just don't, don't raise your hand and nobody will ever know. Maybe it's your hobby. You just love, there's something that you love to do, and you are wholeheartedly committed to doing that. Maybe you're committed to doing nothing. <laughs> Johnny, you're, 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 you, that's okay, you can do that. When you get to be Johnny's age and you've done everything that he's done, you can do that. You can do nothing. But before that, you can't do nothing. And here's why it's dangerous. Being committed to being doing nothing is dangerous because there's an indifference. It's like, ah, I, I don't really care. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. And so I'm not going to do that. And so you live your life committed to doing nothing. And I think that, the, that that's a dangerous place to be in because you're not fulfilling the potential that God has placed upon your life. 
You're not, you're not doing and, 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 and you're not influencing the people. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's grandchildren. Maybe it's coworkers that, that God is wanting to use you. He's wanting to work through you. But if you have this, this commitment to nothing and this indifference in your life, he's going to have a hard time using you. And so I don't know what it is. I don't know what in your life that you are wholeheartedly committed to but I, I would challenge you in the idea to, that if it is not to know and to experience and to encounter Jesus, if that is not at the top of your list, you may, may, may want to think about making some adjustments in your life. Because I know that, that Matthew 6.33 says that when I seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things will be added unto me. So it's not that he doesn't care about the little things in life. But we have to keep the first things first. We have to keep the priority the priority. And so you have to answer that question, what are you really committed to? Paul's letter uh, to the Philippian church gives us a great model to keep the one thing the one thing. You know, a little bit of background when it comes to this, um, this story of Paul or this chapter and chapter and verse and, and really the book of Philippians was is that... Um, Paul was in prison. And I tell you if, you, if you read about the life of Paul, I mean, this guy was amazing, man. He wrote two-thirds of the, the New Testament and just, he did great things. And he had a lot of things going for him, but he, he found himself to be in prison. And so he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. And the Philippian church was very, very supportive of Paul. They, they, they sent him money when he needed money. They, they prayed for him. And, and he, you know, at the beginning of the book, he talked about that. And he was so thankful to them for that. And so we see in the first couple chapters of Philippians that everything's really happy. Everything's real joyful and, and encouraging. But then he gets to chapter 3. And his tone changes. His tone changes a little bit. And he's very passionate. And he's concerned about certain dangers. He's concerned for these people that he loves dearly, and these people loved him dearly. And he's, and he's trying to, with passion and with enthusiasm, he's trying to communicate these dangers to them. And one of them was to beware of dogs and, 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 and quarrelsome, people that are quarrelsome and, and uh, contentious in spirit, um, hiding impure things in their life. And, and so what, what was happening was, was people were coming into the church and they were contentious. And so he was warning them about that. Another thing was evil workers, people that, that came into the church and it was about the fads and it was about you know the, the newest and the greatest and the latest. And, and these people were causing these people that were followers of Christ to be distracted. And then the, and then the next thing that he warned them was, was having confidence in the flesh. You know, if you read in, in uh, the first part of chapter 3 of Philippians, you can see this great list of all of the things that, that Paul did. You know, he followed the law. He was born of a great family um, and, and had a great name. Um, he, he, he was very, very well educated, like very educated. And, and so he had all of these things going for him, but it says that, that he listed off these things and he told the people of Philippians, Philippi, he's like, listen, if there's anybody that could be confident about the flesh, it's me because I've done this and I've done this and I've, I've grown up this way and I am, I am educated. And so if, if, if you want to talk about confidence in the flesh, I am your guy because I've done all this thing. He's kind of bragging in a way, but he goes on to say, he's like, listen, 
All of these things that society and people place a great value on are nothing. They're worthless. I've, I've realized that these things that everybody sees as so important, the, the things that I've grown up in, the education that I have, the life that I have, it's worthless because of what Christ has done in my life. So he had a revelation of something that you can't have confidence in the flesh. And I think a lot of times, guys, we do that. We, you know, we're looking at our, our peers and our different people around us, and, and that's what our life is based upon. And, and, and what he's saying is, is that it's all rubbish. It's all worthless. The real thing that is important to each and every one of us, or should be, is this knowing Jesus, experiencing Jesus, wanting his presence in our lives. And so he was warning them, but he goes on to say this. He says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. So I want to look today at, at four very four clear commitments that you and I can make when it comes to following Christ and having, having the, uh, an encounter and, and experiencing Christ and knowing him in a deeper way. There are four things you know, that, that he outlined in Proverbs, or Proverbs, in Philippians 3 that will give us what it is that we need to see. Look at in your notes there. It says here in Philippians 3.8, it says, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. I like that word. I like that. I like that. That um, that infinite value that that Paul placed an infinite value on knowing Christ. You know, when we when we think about this this idea of uh, of um, placing an, a value. So, point number one is place the highest value on knowing Jesus. Place the highest value on knowing Jesus. That's what we need to do. So. What do you place a value on? You know, when you think about your life, what do you, what do you place a high value on? Earlier this week, uh, we were in the staff room, and, and uh, Patty, Patty, she makes lunch for April every day, and it's a really healthy lunch. And it makes the rest of us in the office feel, you know, like we're, we eat terribly and all those things. And, and it's okay. I'm not bitter. Uh, that she doesn't make me food and make me lunch and all that. But that's okay. That's not the point. The point is, is that we were talking about, you know, eating healthy and doing these things. And, and you know, Patty, she gets up and she goes and works out. And I, I just kind of fell out of my mouth. I just said, I would rather be fat than get up early and work out, right? <laughs> and, and, and that just goes to show you that I do not place a value on getting up early to work out. Okay, is there anybody else in here that does not like to get up early and work out? Okay, I got half of you, perfect, 60%, perfect. Okay, what's another thing we place value on? In the Calstrip household, I'll tell you, there's one thing that we place value on, and that is a family pack of Oreos. Oh yeah, Oreos are a hot commodity in our home, okay? Now, I'm gonna be transparent here, because that's what we do around here. We are transparent. When there is a new family pack of Oreos, I have been known to eat a whole row of Oreos. We have this thing called a Big Bubba. It's like a half a gallon, 
And I will fill it up with milk. And the reason I do that is because is I have a really, really big opening on the top of it. So I can get my arm down in there and just adequately soak the Oreo. Okay? We're still talking about value. What do we value? Okay? And I'll take it a step further by saying that I have also been known to hide the family pack of Oreos. Why? Do you understand how many kids are running around my house? The last time I counted, there were four. And they will flat out devour. I mean, my wife goes to the grocery store, and if they've been hungry and we haven't fed them for a few days, I mean, they will ransack our pantry. So I, I value Oreos. I value that those things that are highly caloric in their intake, but that's okay. What do you value? You know, one other thing I was thinking about is when I was growing up, Dad entrusted me with a 81 C10 Chevy truck. It was amazing. But once I ran it through that barbed wire fence, I didn't really value it anymore, right? It was my view of the truck. I just, eh, you know what? It's, it looks great and it goes fast. It takes you a while to get there. But, but I didn't value it. I didn't take care of it, man. I just run it through the gears and, and just not value it. Now, a few years later, I got a, a Pontiac Grand Prix GTP. In Texas, super clean car. I think when they washed it, they washed it in that uh, liquid rain. So every time it rained, I literally didn't even have to use the wipers. And I valued that car. And I, I, I didn't drive it on gravel. And, and I washed it every day because I valued it. It was my view of the, the thing. And so when we view something, and this is what my point is, is that Paul, he, he viewed knowing Christ as the highest the highest value, with the highest value, he put the highest priority on it. And so my question to you guys today is, is what is it that you value? Do you really value knowing God? Because if you really valued knowing God, and your view of it was like, you know what, that right there is what's going to change me. That right there is what's going to change my situation. That's what right there is what's going to make me a better person and, and, and live better and, and, and live victoriously. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have problems and, and have issues, but that right there is where I'm placing the highest value because I know that's what's going to change my life. When you view it that way, you want it. you got to have it. It's kind of like the Oreos that are in the cabinet. It's like, wait a minute, I think I have some Oreos in there. You know, when you begin to to look to Jesus and he begins to pour into you and speak to you and you're driving down the road and he says something and you, and you write it down because it's like, you know what? He's, he's speaking to me. I would encourage you that, that when he speaks to you and you're just like, well, I don't know if it was him or not, but I'm gonna write it down. As you begin to value that and, and begin to, you'll get more and more sensitive to his leading, to, to what it is that he's saying and, and he'll show you, he'll speak to you, but you have to value it. It has to be the highest value in your life. And so that's point number one, is that the highest value has to be on that. It can't be, guys. It can't be, you know, our highest value cannot be on uh, uh, accomplishments, trophy, accolades, education, career, cars, houses, all the stuff. It can't be there. If that's where your highest value is, knowing God will be long, long, long ways down the list. But Paul said, all of that stuff that you think is important, that you think is the highest value in your life, it's worthless. That's what he said. It's worthless. And you might be saying, well, that's hard because it's not worthless. I, I, I have a value. Well, it's your view of it. You view it as the most important thing. 
But can I tell you that when your marriage is falling apart, when, when you get a report from the doctor, and, and all of those things that you think are valuable, they won't amount to a hill of beans because they won't be able to give you what it is that you need. The presence of God and knowing God will, will cause something to rise up on the inside of you to help change that situation and make that situation different. That's why Paul said, I place the highest value on knowing Christ. And so that's why we need to do that. You know, a lot of times I think that we seek the hand of God instead of seeking the heart of God, right? We're, we go to him because it's like, I want this, I need this, I need this to change, I need this. And that's the only time we go and talk to him. But can you, you know, when I think about that, I, I think about my kids. And I love my kids with all, all my heart. I would give my kids pretty much anything I could buy them because I love them. But it's not because they come to me and they ask me over and over and over and over again. I got one of those that does that. I mean, it's just like, you are wearing me out. But that's not why I do it. Actually, I don't respond to that. I say, you need to stop. Please stop. Will you stop now? Please stop. Stop again. Doesn't work. But why do I give it? I give it because I have a relationship I, have, I give it because I love them. I, I, I see potential and purpose in their life, and I want to I give them the best life that I can possibly give them because I love them. And the Bible says, how much more does your Father in heaven love you and want to give you good things? But you can't seek the hand of God. You have to seek the heart of God. you got to seek His presence. you got to seek knowing Him, seek Seek growing that relationship, listening to him, saying, Lord, I want you to speak to me. I am listening. And when he speaks, you be obedient. Because when you're obedient, it develops that sensitivity and it allows you to hear more clearly. And, and, and as you develop that habit of hearing, it's kind of like, you know, if, if my wife came in here and we were in a, in a large group of people and she said something, I'd be able to hear her because I know her voice. I'd be like, hey, Rachel's in this room. The same thing is true when it comes to knowing God. You know, you know his voice if you listen to his voice. And so you have to place that high priority of, of, of on knowing him. So honestly, what do you place the highest value in your life? Listen, you know what it is, and you know what it ain't. Or am I supposed to use ain't? I'm going to use ain't. It's a great, great, great word. I know all the people that are English professors and things like that, they're frowning upon me, but it doesn't matter. You, what's the highest value in your life? You know what it is, and you know what it ain't. Today's the day to change the highest priority in your life. I like what, he, what Paul went on to say when he, when he was talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12. It says, For I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I know in whom I have believed. Do you know in whom you have believed? Are you like Paul? I know in whom I believed and I am committed. That's what I want to be known for. When people say, hey, Brian Kalser... I want to know he was committed. He was committed to knowing Christ. 
and he was committed to sharing that and helping other people know Christ. That's what I want my life to be a representation of. Making a commitment to what is truly most valuable is the thing of knowing Christ. So place a high value on knowing him. The next thing is this. It's found in in Philippians 3.10. It says that I want to know Christ and experience the power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him and share in his death. So number two is this. Stay hungry to know more. Stay hungry to know more. Not once, but two times, Paul said, I want to know Christ. What that tells me is that Paul was hungry for knowing Christ. Did you, um, do you think that Paul wanted to know Christ? Yeah, I think he did, because he said it twice in, in a few verses. So not only did he want to experience God and know Christ, but he wanted to experience the power of God. Now listen, guys, this, this, is, this is an, you know, you have to expect this. You have to want this. You have to desire this. If you think that, that the power of God is going to just fall on you because you're indifferent, you got another thing coming. It's not going to happen. You have to desire the power of God in your life. So, so when things are going awry and things are not going this, the way that they need to, 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 you know the power of God. You know that your words create, you know, carry huge power. And so when you speak to a situation, it changes. It dissolves. When you pray, when you know God and you pray, it changes. That's the power of God that we're talking about here. I'm not just talking about knowing a bunch of stuff. Knowledge is great, but Proverbs says that understanding is better. And we have to understand the power of God. And it comes when we, have, when we begin to develop this knowledge of him and, and, and press in and draw upon, he'll show us that power. We'll experience that power. We'll experience it in our lives, in our families, and in, in different areas. We'll be like, that right there is the power of God. You know, a lot of times there's this mis- misconception that it's like, you know, when, they, when, when somebody, when we have prayer lines and they come down here and we pray on them and maybe they fall out under the power and that's what we associate the power to be. But the power can work in our everyday life. The power can work when you're trying to work on a business deal and you're believing God and God comes through and pushes that thing through for you. That's the power of God in your life. Or healing or money or a relationship. And, you, and you're believing and trusting God and there is a breakthrough that happens. That is the power of God. And that's what Paul said. I want to know Christ and I want to experience the power that raised Christ from the dead. That same power that raised Christ from the dead can be at work in our lives if we desire it and if we want it and if we welcome it and if we cherish it, it will be there. But you got to want it. Are you hungry? I've been watching this new show. It's amazing. It's called Alone. Anybody in here watch Alone? Come on, somebody raise their hand. Listen, if you haven't watched Alone, you need to go home, and you need to download the History app, and you need to watch Alone. It will change you forever, and you will binge watch, which means you will do one episode after another episode after another episode. You'll get up and get the Oreos, then you'll sit down and watch another episode. You'll do another episode, then you'll cook supper, and you'll eat pizza, then you'll watch another episode, then you'll watch another episode, and then you'll look at the clock, and it's 11 o'clock. No, I'm going to watch one another episode, and next thing you know, it's 12 o'clock. What happened? But I just watched seven episodes of Alone. I told you, we're all about transparency around here. 
But here's the thing. If you've watched alone, you know something takes place. And, and really, I joke about it, but it is amazing to watch what happens to people that are dumped off in the middle of nowhere, and all they have are 10 items, like an axe, a thing to start fire, a sleeping bag, a coat, and a pair of boots. And what happens is, it's amazing, after 10 days, if they have not caught anything to eat, which is pretty likely, they begin to starve. And I mean, they are willing to do whatever. They are so hungry that, that they just like, they just, they go crazy and they do crazy things. Like I watched a lady last night, she was eating the, the inside of a spine of a rabbit. She said it was like spaghetti. And as I sat there eating spaghetti, I'm like, no, that's not at all what spaghetti tastes like. But my point is this, when you're hungry, when you're hungry for God and you get a taste of God's presence and God's knowledge and he, he deposits something in your heart, it's like you got to have it. And, and that's what's so cool about God is, is that it's like it's never quite satisfied. But I believe that he put that in us for a reason. He put that, us, that in us so that we continue to hunger and thirst for his presence in our lives. I like what it says here in Matthew 5. It says, blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When we hunger for the things of God, when we hunger to know him, when we hunger for an encounter and an experience with God, he will fill us. You can bank on it. You can know it. You can, you, can, you can go into your times of devotion and prayer and you can be like, you know what? I know because I'm hungry and I'm expecting something, he's gonna fill me. Now, right on the other hand, you can go into that and you're like, eh, you're kind of wishy-washy, don't really care, I know I gotta do this, and you're doing it out of obligation. You're not really hungry. You have to have this attitude of, of hungering, staying hungry for knowing him. And so, place a high value on knowing him. Number two, stay hungry. And then number three is this. It's found in Philippians 3.13. It says, but I focus on one thing. Now, this is where it kind of gets kind of weird because Paul says, I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward. I'm like, eh, Paul, that's two things, not one thing. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. He said, I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking to the future. One thing. You know, I don't know if you guys have picked up on this in our studies here the last, last week and this week, this whole one thing. It's kind of obvious, right? For Mary, she chose the one thing, right? The rich, rich young ruler, he lacked one thing. And then Paul, in this instance where we just read, he says, I focus on one thing. So I think, man, I'm not too bright. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box, but I'm getting something here, okay? I'm getting that I need to choose the one thing and I need to focus on the one thing. I don't want to be like the rich young ruler and lack the one thing. And so the one thing, the experience, the encounter, knowing Christ is the one thing that you and I should strive for every single day. And you're going to have to let go. You're going to have to let go. That's what Paul said, one thing, I forget the past. And so the one thing that we're gonna have to do or 
one of the things that we're going to have to do is forget the past. Hurts that have been done to you. Things that have been said to you. Mistakes that you have made. Maybe there's mistakes that other people have made in your life. Paul said, you have to forget these things. You have to let them go. You have to put them behind you. Because the thing is, guys, is that these, these things, these, these mistakes, these hurts, these pains, I, I know, I, I mean, I'm, I, I probably don't know. But Paul knew. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was imprisoned. He was, he was beat. He, I mean, he went through a lot. And I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what pains and what hurts you've had in your life, but God does. And Paul is saying, listen, if you want to move on and if you want to experience God in the fullness, I'm not saying that you'll never experience God if you don't let go of things. But if you want to experience God in, its full, in his fullness, you're going to have to put the trust on him. I think a lot of times, guys, that when it comes to this idea of not letting go, not letting go of pain, not letting go of hurt, not let, letting go of what others have done or said. Our faith and our, it's, it's like we're, we're, we're consumed with ourself. And it's like we don't want to let it go because we think, well, if I let it go, then, then you know, what about, what about you know, the, the righting the wrong that was done to me? And, and, and the problem is, is it's selfish in its nature when we are so consumed and so focused with maybe getting, uh, um, you know, the apology or getting even or getting whatever it is that we think we have coming to us. Because it's not going to happen. It may not happen in this lifetime. It may, but why not just do what Paul said and just say, you know what? I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to, I'm going to put it behind me. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to let that person and what it is that they said or did, I'm going to let it go. Because you and I both know that the enemy, he'll come right back around the corner after you've said, I'm going to let it go. And he'll be like, and the next thing you know is that you have a choice as to whether or not you're going to pick that, that, that up. And, and reality of it is, is that if you don't let it go, then what ends up happening is, is there's a root of bitterness that can, that can set up shop in your life, a really deep root. And if you study roots, it's like they got all these other things that come out off of that tap root. And so then when you really want to get rid of that thing in your life, you can't. It's, it's a real challenge. But the power of God can, can get rid of that in your life. But it's just easier for you to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. You know, you could sing that song. Let it go. Right? I'm not going to sing that song. What is that, what is that on? It's on... Uh, Frozen. Go home and watch Frozen. If you have a bitterness in your life, if you have something that you need to let go of, go turn it up really loud and say, Lord, I'm just going to let it go. And you can laugh. But I mean, to tell you, if your heart's in the right spot and you're like, you know what, I'm going to let this go, it'll be gone. And then when the enemy comes back to your life, you got a big choice in front of you. You're going to have to say, nope, I forgot. You're going to have to answer the enemy. You're going to have to speak with your mouth. Yes, he is a spiritual foe, but your mouth carries power. It carries authority with it. So when he comes in and he whispers, it's like, nope, I forgot that. 
so that you can move on, so that you can experience and encounter God in the way that He, that we, he wants us to. You have to let go. You have to refuse to, uh, the past from keeping you from knowing God. And then number two, which was one of the one things that Paul talked about, was this, looking forward. Paul said, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. That is encouraging to me. How about you? We don't have to be perfect. Paul's like, listen, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I'm, I'm still working on this thing. I'm still working this thing out in my life. But one thing is for sure. I'm forgetting the past and I'm looking forward. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm forgetting the past and looking to the future. But that's what we have to do. We're not going to be perfect. We're not always going to get it right. But we need to be quick to obey. We need to quick, be quick to forgive. Quick to ask for forgiveness. Quick to, to, to do what it is that we need to do in our lives. And look forward. Commit to a few. Commit to a few. That was one of the things that came to me while I was, when I was studying this. Is that, you know, if you're going to look forward in your life. If you're going to move forward, if you're going to follow this example that Paul has put into uh, uh, place for us, you're going to have to choose or commit to a few. And what do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, there is only so many hours in a day. And sometimes we just overcommit. And we just have to make this decision in our lives that it's like, you know what? I'm going to commit to a few. I'm going to, I'm going to commit to, first of all, my time with God. We talked about this last week. It is a non-negotiable, this is when it happens, there's no excuses, and if something drastic comes up, we're going to adjust accordingly. You know, and, and, you know, for me, it's like my time with God, you know, and, and, and spending time with Him and knowing Him and praying next would be my wife, right? That's, you make it 20 years, if you want to make it another 20 years, you better have that on number two, right, on your priority list, is, is committing to that. And, 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 and choosing the few, my kids. The next thing is, is my calling in this church is the next thing on that list. And really after that, it falls off pretty quick. Because if any of those things that are past number four begin to be the priority, begin, be, begin to be the thing that I'm committing to, guess what? All the other things fall low on the list. And I, and, I, and I fail to look forward. I fail to move forward. I fail to allow God to lead and guide me and direct me and help me in, in, in my calling, in my relationship, in my marriage with my kids. That's what it has to be. And if, and if, and if I don't, it's going to be a struggle. And so we have to forget the past and we have to look forward. So place our highest value on knowing him, stay hungry, forget the past, look forward. And the last one is this, found in Philippians 3.14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive a heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus. Linda, you can come up. I press on. I press on. So number four in your notes is this, never stop. Never stop and finish strong. Never stop and finish strong. Never stop, guys. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're 16, 60, 70, 80, whatever it is, you never stop. Now, there is a grand temptation to 
take your car and pull it over on the side of the road. And maybe you've done that. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But I'm just here today to tell you guys that Paul admonished us to press on. Here is Paul, man. He is in a prison. I mean, if anybody had a right to be like, well, I guess it's over with. My life's over with. I could be killed tomorrow. He did it. He was writing a letter to the church of Philippi and saying, press on. Never stop. Keep going until you come to the gates of heaven and you are in heaven, you know, in heaven. But in earth, it's like we, 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 we think, well, I, I'm, I'm shooting for retirement. I'm getting everything kind of in order and I'm saving up and, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to just coast. You can't coast. Because, you know, I had asked dad yesterday, Lester Summerall, I think he was 50 years old or something like that. And he, he had been on the mission field and he came back and the uh, organization that he was with said, you're done. You're done. And I tell you what, when you get a report like that to say you're done, you know, it kind of crushes something inside of you if you allow it to. But he didn't. He's like, no, I'm not done. And he just, just made a decision just like Paul told us to do. He's like, I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to run. It's kind of like this, guys. I think about, have you guys ever seen those videos where they're running and it might be the end of a marathon or a race and the guy's like just glorying in his win and then some dude comes running past him and he's crushed. Right? The guy, the, like he just gets, he, the wind gets taken from him. <laughs> the number one spot. He spent his life working and trying and he 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 celebrates too soon and he gets passed i don't want to be like that i want to keep running till i till they say they have to blow the whistle three or four times brian it's time to stop there's too much work to be done there's too many people that are still lost and dying and hurting for for any of us in this place to just pull her over on the side of the road and take it easy or throw it into neutral and just coast. I don't want to be like that. I hope that you don't want to be like that. We have to have this attitude that, that I am never going to stop and I am going to finish strong. Paul, Paul had a no-quit attitude, a no-quit attitude. And in this lifetime, there will always, always, listen, there will always be more experiences, more encounters, and more to know about Jesus. You will never, ever get to the place where you know it all. You might think you know it all. There are some of those. But you don't. Think about what you're missing out on. The problem is, we watch all the other people pull over and slow down. But that can't be our attitude. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it's sad. It's unfortunate. There are going to be people that pull over and slow down. But it, you just have to make this decision. I, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep just helping the kingdom of God be advanced in whatever it is that I can do with the strength that's been given to me. I'm going to continue on. That's what we need. We need a, a church full of people 
Because see, here's the thing, guys. This whole deal is, is it's this knowing Christ, it's what's going to bring the presence and the power of God in our midst. It's kind of like I talked about last week. I desire for when people to come into this place that it's not man's words of wisdom or anything like that. It is the presence and the power of God. And it's not just one man or one man or one woman that, that knows Christ and knows his power that's going to make that happen. It's up to everybody that's in here and the people that aren't here. The, anybody that names fellowship as their home. We're a team of people, and we, like I said last week, we bring a supply. We bring what we have. And I hope that, it, that you have something. You have something to give. You know, I heard this this week that a lot of people think that their problems are from without. That it's all the pressures and the things that are happening from without. But the reality is, is this, the problem is not the pressures from without. The problem is the vacuum that's inside. And this whole idea and this whole concept of knowing God, and, and we looked at it, that he fills us. When, when we go to him, he fills us in only the way that he can fill us. We can chase all of those other things and we can think, ah, that'll fill us. No, you'll, you'll find yourself so dissatisfied and so empty, but God will fill you. And when he fills you, then it spills out on other people. When he fills you and you come to this place, it spills out on kids, it spills out on youth, it spills out on others, it spills out on, on those that are walking out the door. When we come into our times of praise and worship, there's an expectation that something's going to happen, that God is going to speak. There's an expectation that the person that came in with nothing is going to leave with something, the one thing, knowing him. So it's up to us. I'm, I'm admonishing you guys. I'm, I'm encouraging you guys to not just let this lay, not just leave the, the notes on your seat when you walk out, but take this with you and meditate on it and think about it and begin to take some actions and take some steps to do something, to know him, to encounter him, to experience him. Because when you do that, you're going to help raise the level of expectancy in this place. So come with us. Let's do this. Let's do this together. There's still time. There's still people that need to be reached and helped. And it's up to us, all of us, to do that. So I got two things today that I'm going to ask you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, we start off talking about this idea of being wholeheartedly committed and you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know everybody in here, but maybe you're that person and you have not made that wholehearted, committed dedication to Jesus. Today is the day. And so if you're that person, now is the time. Now is the time to be wholeheartedly dedicated and committed to him. This is your opportunity. You are here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And God wants you to make that decision. He wants that relationship with you. So if you're that person with your hand lifted high, just lift it up and say, I'm that person. I see that person. I see that person. You can put them down. Awesome. Okay. Now, the second thing is this. Maybe you have walked away from that high value thing of knowing Christ. Today is the day to get right with him. Maybe you've placed other things as high value. Today, I'm here to tell you 
Today's the day to make the decision. And if that's you, between you and God, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm that person. I have not been committed in the way that I need to be. I see that hand. You can put it down. I see that hand. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to pray for those that that responded this morning, and we're going to pray with them to commit. Father, we just come before you today. And Father, you have seen these hands. You've seen these hearts, Father. And I just thank you, Father, for for this, this knowledge of you. That you, this relationship that you want to have with them, Father. And I just, I thank you, Lord, that you're going to strengthen them, that they're going to begin to take the steps to make a different commitment, that they're going to value you, value knowing you. And we just thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen.